0: We are in a series on the book of Mark, and so if you can turn in your Bible to Mark 8. Mark 8, we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to read the first 10 verses. If you are not currently getting the daily devotional, one of the things that's so important to us as a church is that we, together, are reading the text. We're a story people we're a group of people who gather around the story of God. And so one of the ways we do that is we read the Bible. And um, recently we've been trying to read similar passages together. And so if you're not signed up to get this daily devotional, actually it's Monday through Friday, um, then I want to encourage you to email frontdesk at therivercrc.com and Rachel will get you on that um, on that list. Okay? It's, it's been a real... Need experience, to have different people from our congregation write those reflections. And um, I know it's been a blessing for me. I hope it has for you as well. Uh, so we are now in Mark 8, and we are going to read the first 10 verses together. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat... Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days, and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they're going to collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, Um... Where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to eat? Get enough bread to feed them? And Jesus said, How many loaves do you have? He asked. Seven? They replied. And He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he had taken the seven loaves and he'd given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. and He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them, and the people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and he went to the region of Dalmanutha. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Look at verse two. Jesus is with his disciples. This crowd is following him and he says these words. He sees the people and he says, I have compassion for these people. Now, You came in here maybe knowing no Greek, you're going to leave knowing no Greek, but you may know this one word, and you may have even heard it before, and I'm going to say it because it's important that you hear it, though I'm going to botch it. I don't know Greek, but there is this amazing website called BibleHub.com. Write it down, BibleHub.com. If you are ever looking for a cool resource to sort of help you study, this is a great one. And so you can go on this site and click an audio thing, and a guy will actually say this word for you in, like, legit Greek. Here's my attempt at it. The word is compassion, and in Greek, it's splagnizomai. At the end of it, or right in the middle, there's like a, um, sounds like someone's throwing up a little bit, splagnizomai. How am I doing, Bill? Okay. I'm going to say it one more time. It's really annoying, I know, to even hear it. And I would be annoyed if I was you sitting there. But it's splagnizomai. And what this means is to love from your guts. That's why I wanted to say it a few times. Because that word comes from a, a, a deep place. It's a it's more, than, it's more than a feeling, right? It's more than just a feeling. It's something that like bursts in you. And Jesus, it says, has compassion on this crowd. They've gone three days and they haven't eaten. He has splagnitzomai. Something in him erupts. There's this deep desire to do something. And two things about that, first of all. I don't know what you walked through the doors of this um, building with this morning, but I want you to hear this that God's like guts is from the depth of who He is. He loves you. The God of the universe, wherever you imagine the bowels of the universe to be, they are bursting with compassion. With love. The core of who God is is this eruption of compassion. You feeling it? The core of who God is is compassion. He sees your need, He's not deaf. To it, he's not blind to it, and in that space that you are, God has compassion. This is good news, isn't it? This is great news. So, eight, verse two. If you get nothing else this morning, just underline this. Jesus says, "I have splagnitos my," like from the depths of who I am, there is this desire to. Help these people. I want to participate. I want to help. I want to do something to help them. They've been with me these three days and they've had nothing to eat. And if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. I see the journey that they have been on in my heart, like, ah, oh, man. Now, for those of us who think that this is what love is, it's a, a feeling or an emotion, uh, I, I think you would have a hard time convincing me and the writer of um, Mark, Mark, that this is far enough, because Jesus doesn't actually leave it there. His broken heart leads him to loving action. His splagnitzomai this eruption of pity within him, leads him to take a step. For those of you that know the story of God and the Christian story, this step is in God leaving heaven and the comfort and the beauty and his glory, we'd call it, and taking on flesh and blood in Jesus, right? He leaves and he takes a step and he brings heaven here. For you and I, as we consider the the things that break our heart, this morning it's probably important that we realize it's not enough to just feel it. Now, pause on that for a minute. I want you to think about something that spl- mai, if we can verb it, splagnizomai's you. Something that like breaks your heart. A word or a sentence, just think about something for a moment that when you see it, there's this piece of compassion, something in you that you're just like ah. Something in you maybe gets a little frustrated. Maybe something gets um, makes you a little angry. I'm a firm believer that the Holy Spirit works in our life sometimes through our anger. So I want you to think of something right now. I'm going to give you like 30 seconds. What's something that when you see it or hear it or experience it, just like, ah, oh, this thing, I like just, it, I think this angst is from God? What's something that when you see it breaks your heart in sort of a holy discontent sort of way? Everybody got something? I'm going to ask you to do something with that in a moment. But Everybody got something? Nod yes if you've got something. If you're not sure, look at the person sitting next to you if they know you and say, what do you hear like that bothers me? What do I complain about? And what does that say about something maybe that I love? I just hate it when people complain. Well, maybe what you love is worship and gratitude and thanksgiving. I just hate it when people are lonely and isolated and alone. Maybe God has kind of given you a shepherd's heart, right? Or a desire to bring people into something bigger than themselves. Maybe you hate waste. What are some of the things? Just shout out some of the things that you came up with. Some, i, I got to repeat them because people can't hear what I can hear. Um, hurting policemen, selfishness, love. You love love. You don't not like love. Cruelty. Somebody said cruelty. What else? Taking God's name in vain. The name of God. What a beautiful name it is. And when people misuse it, it irks us. Yeah. What else? Abuse. Abuse. Yeah. What's that? Selfishness. Beautiful. Beautiful. Sadness Great What's that? Lies Lies Good Thieves Stealing Good, good Okay You got your thing Everybody got their thing? Nod yes if you got something If you don't I'm not going to put you on blast Okay, you got something Something that bugs you Here's what I want you to do with it Jesus doesn't just leave it there He doesn't just say, the people are are hungry, that's so sad, and keep walking on his way. He sees this need, his heart is broken, and God's response is to do something. Now, there's this rule that I learned recently. How many of you know about the five-second rule? This isn't the one that allows you to eat the peppermint you just dropped in the pew. It's a different five-second rule, okay? It's not like you're walking out of in and out drop your animal-style fries, scrape them up, and decide to keep eating them. It's not, by the way, they'll give you new fries if you do that. It's not that five-second rule. This is a five-second rule that says, from the moment you have that my thing in you, you got five seconds to do something about it. And then you know what happens after that? Life. life. If you're like me, you forget. You forget or something else comes up or something else comes up, right? It's not that we don't care. It's just like one thing happens and then another thing happens. So this rule says you have five seconds to do something about it. Now, the do something might be write yourself a note. It might be shoot a text, It might be, email somebody. It might be, take all your money and give it to the poor. I don't know what it is. But it has to be, there has to be some action. And one of the things I love about this community, and one of the things I love about you people, the river people, is that you're active. Your faith is is not ethereal. It's not in in the clouds somewhere. All truth is, is embodied truth. That is, it is applied, it's applicable. It's something that you can participate in and do. It's experiential. And so when Jesus says in Matthew 7, um, blessed are those of you who hear my words and essentially put them into action, who do what I've said, he's saying that faith and the faith journey is not just about hearing nice things, it's about listening and responding. Listening and moving your feet. Imagine uh, the difference, this is like the difference between listening to music and dancing. Right? When you listen to music, it stirs you a little bit. But then when you see somebody dance, you know that the music has sort of like moved them. Right? Right? we are a dancing community, a community of people called to dance to the music of God, then that means we put into action the, thing that, the things that we're learning. Empathy is, is good if it leads you to take the next step. In my life, I've had the privilege of meeting a few people who were not the smartest people, but who took Steps of faith in their action. They were masters at applying things. They didn't always apply it perfectly, but they applied truth. So here's what I'd like you to do think about that thing, that thing that kind of bothers you, that eruption in your soul. I want to challenge you this morning. I believe that that thing in you is probably a good thing. Maybe even it's a God thing. If it's good and it's for the flourishing and blessing of others, I think there's a really good chance that God put that thing in you. Here's what I want to ask you. I'm going to give you five seconds to do something, to make a decision, to write yourself a note, to lean over and tap somebody next to you and tell them, to text, I don't care if you text right now and text somebody something, Make a decision to do something with that thing. You ready for it? You got five seconds. Four. Two. One. Done. We move on. You got it? You know what God's called you to do in that? I can't wait to get emails from you this week. Jim said he's going to put his testimony on Facebook. How many of you heard Jim say that? I heard it, Jim. Loud and clear, baby. I can't wait. Jesus doesn't just sit there and feel sorry for people. He takes a step of participation with God. And now, verse 4, notice what he says. This is so beautiful. He says, He says, if I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long way. Verse 4. His disciples answered, But where? It's even worse than that. It's like this. But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Where? Where's the bread? There's no bread. Jesus? Jesus? You want to do this thing, but where is the bread? We're in this remote place. We can't find any bread. There's no bread. I know this is kind of annoying right now, but this is the voice. You recognize this voice? How many of you recognize this voice? Jesus sees it. He wants to meet a need, and the very next voice is the voice of what? Fear. This is the voice of fear. Gee, you can't do that, Jesus. There's not enough bread here. That's not possible. 200 people, ha, 60. That's my voice. This is the voice of fear. The author Anne Lamott, I was reading a book by her called Bird by Bird. Maybe of you read this book? Amazing book about writing. And she says that every time she sits down to write, that voice of fear is there. You're not going to be okay. You're going to write something and it's going to be terrible. It's going to be laughable. It's going to embarrass all your friends and family. (laughs) You're going to try to take a step and do something? Don't do it. She says she has to picture them like mice. These little voices, squeaky. That's why I read it like that where are we going to get this? We're in this remote place. She picks her, pictures him like a mouse and she lifts the mouse by a tail, which I can't do this analogy because the whole mice thing is just too close to home for our, our family right now. We have some mice problems. But imagine your rodent of choice and you put them in a jar and she says, I put that voice, I put that thing in a jar and then I put a top on it and then I just watch it. And it's trying to talk, but I can't hear it. She does this all in her head. I think she has issues, but I do too. And it's helpful for me to isolate this voice, to recognize it and call it what it is. And then she says what she'll do is turn it way up and allow that voice to scream. She'll take the lid off and allow it to scream and then put the lid back on. You know who this is the voice of? This is the voice of Israel when they said, you liberated us from Egypt and you brought us into this desert. And now what? You're gonna let us die? You're really gonna let us die out here, God? It's the same voice, isn't it? It's the voice that says, you can't do it. You don't have enough. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough talent. You don't have enough treasure. Why don't you wait and let somebody else fix it? You could never. It's too remote a place. There isn't any bread. And what does Jesus say to them in verse 5? How many loaves do you have? He puts it back on the disciples. He sees a problem, God recognizes the problem, and God's heart is broken for it. The disciples say it's impossible to do anything about it. And God comes back to them and says, um, in the bag that you took along. How many loaves do you have? What, what do you have that could help this? What do they say? We just have seven. Seven loaves, man. That's like enough. Jesus, you get one because you're Jesus and then we were just going to like break them up And split them in half for the rest of us. And that's like 12. And like, so we have seven. Is that cool? Like, because they're hungry, but there's seven for us. You with me? Jesus says, No, no, he doesn't say, Let me conjure something up here. He says, What do you have? What do you already have? What's already in place to help address this need? To help bring about God's work in this place? What do you already have? How has God already equipped you? It's a great question for us as a community to consider. The thing that you just said the frustration that you have, what do you already have? We do this uh, drill, drill, it's not a drill, it's a, um, what do you call that, like in school, an activity, that's the word. We do this activity with people who come to the river, and we sit in a room, and they're exploring who we are as as a church, and one of the things we ask is, what gifts do you have of the head, the heart, the hands. What knowledge, what passion, what skills do you have? Um, and you're thinking right now, man, I don't, if you're like me, you're thinking, I don't really know anything. I don't have any knowledge about anything. And um, th- that's the remote place, right? We're in this remote place. I don't have anything. It's this voice of fear and scarcity. But if you actually stop and consider and reflect for a moment about what you know something about, does anybody here play video games? James, Nathan, I know you play video games. Kim? Okay, so you have some knowledge about video games. Even like, I, I never thought of that as something that I have that's worth helping people. How many of you know how to um, write an email? Okay, some of you do, not all you do. So you have an ability to do something and a, and a gift and a skill to do something. Years ago, we sat around a table as a staff. And um, the school, Lagonia Elementary, had asked us as a staff, what do you have that you could help us with? And we sat around a table. I'm not kidding you, friends. I racked my brain. I could not think of something that I have. I, I'll tell you what I did. And this is what we all do. As we said, here's what I can't do, because I'm in a remote place. I can't sew, I can't focus very long, to study, like help kids, tutor them or something. It'll kill me to go back to school and have to tutor. I can't, I can play chess, but I don't really want to. I really can't do a whole lot. You know the only thing I could come up with? Two things. I can talk and I can play. And my life in a nutshell is summed up in two words. Play and talk. That's about all I can do. Well, you know who loves to play? Kids! You know what bothers me in the world? When people are not creative. When kids sit around and say, what do they do? They come to you and say, there's nothing to do my kids do this to me. There's nothing to do, Dad. Are you kidding me? There's nothing to do? Go get a tennis ball. I'll, we'll do 50 games with a tennis ball. That'll be so fun. This bothers me when people are like, there's nothing to do. You know what also bothers me? When kids feel like nobody cares about them. It just bugs me. I don't know why, it's always bothered me. Kids feeling like nobody cares. So I raised my hand at the table and said, I'll play. And somebody else had the genius to say, what if you developed like a lunch program or something where you could play with kids and maybe even organize it a little bit. And I was like, I don't know if I can do that, but I'll do my best. And so twice a week, I get to play with kids, fourth and fifth graders. And some of you have participated in that with me. And... They think it's great because somebody's coming out. But you know what? I love it the most. Because I get to play. And you all pay me to do it. It's beautiful. Debbie Bierman loves to organize. She's our adult ministry director. You walk in her office... You sit across from her desk, you look to the left, there's a wall full of tasks and the people that are gonna do them. And on this side is a whiteboard and it's full of all dates and what is happening on those dates. And I think that it is like prison in there. And I said to her, how do you do this? How do you live in this world? She said, I just love it when everything is organized. And I said, I just want to break your wall down and run through it and talk about it. <laughs> she organized, and some of you maybe, she has organized and gotten you to where you need to go. She organized a whole mess of people to go serve in the library there and to read books to kids. She organized it all. And this week, last Friday, actually, I got to see Barb Herzl. Is Barb here? Uh, a friend and I were walking on campus, and we saw Barb. And Barb used to be a teacher, and then she um, now volunteers in the library. And she says, I just love to volunteer in the library because I get to like, put all these teaching things that I used to do. I get to help the teachers now. I just love being able to do that, and I don't have to manage all the kids. I just get to manage books, and I love it. It's great, and she's in this beautiful place. What do you have? What do you already have? Knowledge about something. Maybe you're funny. Maybe you can write. Maybe you know how to read. And you think, that's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. There's millions of people who do not know how to read, and you do, and you have a gift. And yes, it's the result of the amazing educational system of this country, but it's yours. And you can go to many places. Maybe you speak really good, really good English. You're a really good English talker. Maybe you speak another language. You could be a bridge builder in your workplace, in your neighborhood. What do you have? Jesus asked the disciples, and they're like, um, seven. I imagine them like, not like seven, they're yours. I imagine them like, seven, what was that? Seven. We just have Seven. The tendency is for us to want to sit on our seven, friends. To use our seven to feed ourselves. You know what I'm saying? We want to use our gift to flourish ourselves. To flourish our lives. But the moment that you jump into that river of sovereign love, the moment I jump into it and say, God, you rescued me. You redeem, you're redeeming me and I want to be a part of this like, river of love that you're, you're a part of in the world, you forfeit the, the right to all your stuff. You already surrendered it when you said yes to Jesus. You already said the seven are yours. I know you're going to keep it coming. I know there's more bread. So you take the seven. What does he do? Verse six. He told the crowd to sit on the ground, and when he had taken the seven loaves... And given thanks. Now, this is huge, I think. Just, he he takes the loaves, he takes the seven, and he gives thanks. He thanks God, but I think maybe he even thanked the disciples. Right? It was the practice to thank God before you eat something. I picture him also kind of like winky wink at the disciples, right? Like, thank you. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for trusting me with your seven loaves of bread. Now watch what I'm about to do with it. Thanks for giving it to me. You won't be sorry you did. Thanks. He gave thanks and he broke them. And then he gave them back to his disciples to set before the people. And they did so. And they had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and he told the disciples to distribute them verse 8 the people ate and were satisfied and afterward the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were underline the word left over over and over in the bible there are stories of god's provision If you go to 1 Kings 17, you'll read a story of a guy named Elijah, who was a prophet. And he met this widow at this place called Zarephath. And the conversation went something like this. Where are you going? The lady said, Going home. I'm going to go make the last meal for me and my son before we die. And Elijah was like, Sounds great. Can you make me a loaf of bread too? And she's like, Apparently you didn't hear me. I'm going to die. And he's like, no, just go home, make the bread, and then bring it back, and there will be enough for you. And so she does. And what happens? Her jar of oil never runs out. Okay? There's leftover. She responds to God's call in her life, and it just keeps flowing. It just keeps coming. Second Kings 4. Verse 42, Elijah's mentor, mentee, Elisha, has a similar experience. There's a hundred people and they're hungry. And Elisha takes 20 loaves of bread. Jesus, by the way, this is part of the story, is like Jesus showing up, Elisha. But he takes 20 loaves of bread and he breaks them and he feeds everybody. And there's left over. Jesus takes the gift, the offering, the seven from his disciples, and he breaks it. And everyone is satisfied, and there is left over. This is because it's who God is. As a community, we don't just worship Jesus. This is really important for us to understand. Our relationship with God is not a relationship with Jesus alone. We worship a Trinitarian God. This means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the early church understood that God was a triunity. The best analogy that we can come up with is something like a family. And this family, a really big, kind of hard to understand word, is, is a generative being. That means that the core of the cosmos is an energy that is self reproducing. That God, in his character and his nature, generates matter, life, everything into being. God is not short on resource. It's why the psalmist said um, that God's answer would be hey, if if I needed a, a cow, I wouldn't come and ask you because all of them are mine, right? The cattle on a thousand hills belong to me. And so God at the core of who he is is like this spring, like this spring bursting forth from a mountain that leads to this river of blessing and refreshment for everything. And the writer in Revelation 21 John says that that river that flows out of the throne of grace gives life to everything and all who drink of it. At the core of who God is, he is a multiplier. He takes the seven and he feeds 4,000 because that's who he is. He takes our gift and he multiplies it and does more than we could ask or imagine. It's like a ripple. This week, I heard a, a beautiful story of, of somebody who, who had a passion to do something in the world and, and they felt called by God and they did it. And one of the realities is that that puts them in a little bit of a vulnerable place. And they were at a doctor appointment, and the doctor said, I see what you're doing, and I'm inspired, and I'm moved by it. For as long as you're doing that, your appointments, your weekly appointments, are going to be covered. You don't have to worry about it. He said, I can't, I can't do what you're doing, but I can do this. I can contribute in this way. I can do this thing. Now, um, this is great. Jesus provides for the 4,000. But I was kind of wrestling a little bit this week and I said, God, we are in the midst of the worst humanitarian crisis for sure in my day, perhaps ever. Four to five million people displaced from their homes in Syria. Four to five million. How many people live in the valley here? I don't know but it's around there, right? Four to five million. Because of a famine, a drought that led to famine, that led to radicalism, that led to people just trying to get for themselves, hiding their seven and saying, this is ours. This is ours. And many of those people who, are fleeing, are women and children who are vulnerable in the Middle East. And I said, if you're the God who multiplies, if you're the God who provides, then why don't you do something? Why don't you intervene? Why don't you, why don't you do something here? We know um, I don't know who the people are that sit around and think about these things, but we know that there is enough resource in the world to feed everybody. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? There's enough stuff to feed everybody. There's enough water, there's enough food, there's enough shelter to feed everybody. I think God sees the hungry, the lost, the brokenness, the hurting. And his heart is moved. Splugnitzo mai. And do you know what I, I think he says? What do you have? What do you have? What? What could you What could you do? What could you put on the table? Do you have seven loaves? Do you have one? Do you have, like somebody in the crowd, a pair of fish sticks? That's all they had. They're like, I just I got a couple fish sticks. And God takes that offering. He takes. And he multiplies and he gives it back to him and says, now you go distribute it. I love, love this community because this is a people, you are a people of action, of truth with flesh and blood. You don't just talk about love. You open your homes to your neighbor. You open your your life to young people on your street. Think about Liz over here. Liz brings with her a gaggle of people from her neighborhood, right, Liz? Why? Because your heart is moved. You see the need in your neighborhood. You respond and you say, Listen, this is a community where where you guys can be blessed if you if you sit, if you listen, if you learn, if you run around church, you're gonna bump into people and they're gonna love you, and that's gonna change who you are. And so you take that step of faith with what you have, and you're leading a children's ministry in your neighborhood. You might not even realize it, but you're leading a a children's ministry in your neighborhood because you said, here's what I have, Lord. You and Craig, right, Craig? Loving little kids in your neighborhood. You guys doing this work. I think it's just beautiful. It's inspiring that you said, God, here's what we have. And has he turned around and blessed you through that experience? Yeah. When we take our seven and God says, What do you have? And we say, This is what I have here. He goes, Yeah, here. Now go bless him with it. Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for. People of the river, what might it look like? What might it look like? If you, as you continue to listen to that stirring, that splag as you continue to respond to it in faith and say, God, it's not much what I got, but it's yours. What might happen? What might happen in our relationships, in our marriages, with our children, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace? What might happen? And friendships. The first service, somebody said, one of the things that bugs them is loneliness. What might happen if if they make a few phone calls to people that they see that are lonely? You know what I think might happen? Friendship. How beautiful would that be? Don't stop at feeling sorry, at feeling love, at feeling pity. In five seconds, commit to do something to give that thing to God and watch how he multiplies your offering because that is who he is, the great multiplier. Let's pray. You've showed us this morning again who you are, how you love, and the invitation to follow you. Thank you for the long history of faith in this community. Thank you for those who have showed us what it means to partner with you in the healing of the world. Lord, give us wisdom when we feel confused. Give us hope when we feel hopeless. Bring people around us to encourage us that we might encourage, that we might be a blessing, what we might be for others. What you continually are to us, a source of overflowing goodness, of unending love. in your name that we pray. Amen.